0: Author Richard Bach wrote, The bond that links your true family is not one of blood, but of respect and joy in each other's lives. Uh, uh, actor Michael J. Fox said, Family is not an important thing, it's everything. Former First Lady Barbara Bush stated, To us, family means putting your arms around each other and being there. And from the pen of Anonymous comes one of my favorites, Families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. (laughs) At least with the fudge, you can pick the nuts out. With family, you're stuck. But here's the fun thing. Every family tree is unique. No two families act alike or interact alike. No two families share identical interests or focus on the same priorities. No two families like the same foods, take the same vacations, play the same games, enjoy the same movies, share the same holiday traditions. As a matter of fact, family members seldom even look alike, although there are a few exceptions. (laughs) Like individuals, every family builds its own unique household in this world. But I can say this with certainty this morning. Every family... Regardless of size, shape, background, culture, color, every family matters to God and ought to matter to us in the church. And our own personal families ought to be a priority for every one of us. And since God is the creator of the family unit, and I believe the chief sustainer of the family unit, His Word is a source of great instruction, comfort, and hope. Now, we can't even begin to go through all the passages that deal with issues of family. But let me suggest to you that you study through God's Word with regard to what it has to say about family. Take a look at the pictures of good families and dysfunctional families because the Bible includes both. And out of both the successful and the not-so-successful families, we can learn lessons that will help us. There, and, there, and remember, there is no such thing as a perfect family. You cannot take imperfect people and build a perfect unit out of it. But God working in our imperfection can help make the family unit the best it can be. And I do believe the family is is best and poised to make the biggest differences in some of life's greatest challenges. There are a lot of them, but we're just going to focus our attention on two of those this morning. The first one is simply this, family answers the cry of loneliness. Recently, Dr. Julianne Holt-Lunston presented her research to the annual Convention of American Psychological Association. The psychology professor said, "An an increasing portion of the U.S. population now experiences isolation regularly with approximately 42 million Americans over the age of 45 dealing with chronic loneliness. She noted, Americans are becoming less socially connected and experiencing more loneliness, there is no ro- and there is robust evidence that social isolation and loneliness significantly increase risk for premature mortality, and the magnitude of that risk exceeds many leading health indicators." In other words, loneliness may impact your mortality quicker than some physical ailments that we often associate in leading us to death. Today, one in seven lives alone. About 31 million compared with 4 million in 1950. And the number of American adults who have never been married is at a historic high, around 20%. Now, I realize that some people choose to be alone, and that's a fine choice if it's your choice. But there are many who are alone who do not want to be alone. The truth is the lonely come from all walks of life, too. It's not just those who are rejected and overlooked by culture that are lonely. Loneliness grips the popular and successful, even those who seem to be surrounded by people all the time. The famous scientist Albert Einstein said, it is strange to be known so universally and yet to be so lonely. Even Jesus, when he came, the Bible says, came to his own, but his own did not receive him. In a sense, Jesus came and experienced the loneliness that we experienced when those who were supposed to embrace him didn't. He was rejected by his own family, his brothers did not become believers until after the resurrection. The nation of Israel, as a whole, rejected him. Jesus understands loneliness. And there were times when he was surrounded by the multitudes that he would slip off into the hills to be alone so that he could be with the Father. Loneliness grows from hardship. You lose a job and suddenly you're experiencing loneliness, separated from your coworkers that you spent day after day working with. You're separated from the capacity to provide for yourself and your family. Hardship can breed loneliness. Loneliness grows from broken relationships. A friendship dissolves. An engagement breaks up. A divorce separates family members. A war separates a soldier from his or her family and friends. The death of a spouse leaves one feeling empty and lonely in this world. You see, broken relationships breed loneliness. And loneliness grows from opposition try having a conversation on a controversial topic in a room where everybody else in the room besides you is on the opposite side of the issue and see how lonely you feel. You see, being in the minority often makes us feel lonely. All those represent some aspect of separation. And separation, inevitably, is what leads to loneliness. Statistically, 70% of the people in convalescent homes never get a visit from anyone. 70%. It's no wonder that loneliness is a growing problem in our culture. Hurt triggers isolation. Isolation triggers depression. And depression is a downward spiral that some people may not recover from. In an airplane, when you go into a tailspin, you have time to recover, but not a lot of time. And once the plane picks up too much speed and too much angle, it is impossible to pull out of the tailspin and disaster is the end result. The same is true with that which leads to isolation, separation, and depression in our lives. You have time to correct it, but not all the time in the world. But here's the good news. Staying close to family bridges the loneliness factor. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, you don't know my family. They don't like me. They don't share my values. We have differing political views. They don't even seem to be interested in the things that interest me. I understand. Extended family can be a challenge, but all the more reason for trying harder. For all of your differences, you still share a common heritage, and that's worth a lot. So for the sake of Family unity, work at it. Swallow your pride and strengthen the things that you do have in common. Because when push comes to shove, you'll need that support. You'll need the companionship that only family can give. And remember this, if your family's far away, if you are estranged from family and you've done everything in your power to bridge that gap, you have family here. We are a family. That's one of the beautiful things that God uses to describe his church. Family, the family of God. And so you find here what you may not be able to find in your physical family. Now, here's something I've noticed. I've noticed a real difference in attitude between people who are really connected in the church and those who just kind of grace a pew every Sunday morning for worship. When you're connected, when you're in a life group, the people who are in a life group, I hear them tell stories all the time, I was having this problem, so I called somebody in my life group, or I was sick and my life group brought food in. I don't hear those same stories from people who are in and out of these doors just on a Sunday morning. You see, to really understand how family works in the body of Christ, we need to be connected to one another in the body of Christ. When tough times come, and they will, if you aren't connected here, you, you are at risk of just fading off into the sunset. And then you have no family at all, So I'm encouraging. Get connected. Get into a life group. Let us help you get into a life group this morning, all right? Or connect in volunteer ways uh, the, the, this morning. Uh, there's so many great opportunities for you when you're, when you're doing that. Your family and the church family is the very best way to avoid loneliness at any age and any stage of life. Here's the second thing, and that is family answers the need for partnership. Now, I I am absolutely astounded at the many examples of partnership that God built into his creation. I learned so much from God's creation around us. I I never cease to be amazed at, at the stories that just point us to godly truths from God's creation. Now, around here, we enjoy white pines and scotch pines, and I think there's nothing more beautiful in the wintertime when there's dusting on a pine tree and its boughs droop just a little bit between the white and the green. It's just a beautiful scene. But there is a lesson on partnership that doesn't come from the white or the scotch pine, that comes from the pinion pine of the American Southwest. It's a scrubbier pine tree. It's not nearly as tall, but it has a partnership with the pinyon pine blue jay. This is a gray, blue kind of bird in the same family as the blue jays that we have here in southern Indiana, but they have a unique partnership pinion pine produces a pine cone seed that is the main source of food for the pinion jay. And the pinion jay is a tree farmer of sorts for the pinion pine. Here's how it works. The pine cones produce this seed that the that the jays just absolutely devour. As a matter of fact, the jay has, has extendable pouches where it can hold an extra 56 seeds with it after it's filled its, its stomach with the seeds that it wants. And so it will bury the rest of the seeds in the ground for a later time. Now, researchers have been studying the pinyon pine and the jay for a long time, and what they have discovered is that every six years, the pinyon pine tree has a bumper crop, Of pine cones. And so it is feasting at its best for the jay. And they just bury these seeds all over the place. Uh, The the research showed that between September and January, a flock of 250 pinyon jays planted up to 4.5 million seeds. That's a lot of seeds. And of course, they go back in the winter and dig up some of these seeds, but they don't dig them all up. So guess what happens every six years? And they plant them not in trees or not in the root system. They plant these seeds out in the open, which is the best place for new tree growth. The seeds that don't get eaten spring up and you have every six years this new crop of pinion pine trees. It is a marvelous relationship, a marvelous partnership Families build partnerships that help one another. And because, as in the tree and the bird, this flourishing partnership sustains life, so we flourish as families. And in the first of those partnership designs, God gives us marriage. Now, most marriages begin with high hopes. We had a wedding here yesterday afternoon, and I can tell you that the, the, the couple that stood before me had great high hopes. They will be a wonderful asset in the kingdom of God wherever they go, but they have really high hopes. It's sort of like, when you get married, it's, it's sort of like leaving on a monumental vacation trip. Let's say you're gonna drive from Bloomington, Indiana, to California to see Yosemite National Park and the sequoia trees in the Pacific Ocean, and everyone is pumped for the trip. As a matter of fact, you can't hardly get the trunk lid closed because of all the packing that's in there, and there's singing in the car as you start off. There's an excitement that fills the car. 500 miles into the trip, however, a different mood sweeps through the old sedan. Everyone's getting a bit cranky. The air conditioner doesn't seem to be able to keep up with the heat and you haven't eaten anything since that fast food burger 10, 10, you know, halfway through five hours ago that you gulped down in the car. You can't find any rooms at the motel where you were planning to stay because a Shriners convention is in town and they've gobbled up everything for a hundred miles around. Add to the fact that you're now in Kansas with nothing but wheat and corn, as far as the eye can see, and you've suddenly got serious doubts about this journey that you're on. You're hot, you're tired, you're hungry, you're bored, and then you realize you still have 1,700 miles to go to get to Yosemite. <laughs> Marriage can be like that if you aren't careful. The wedding is so exciting, the brood and gr- brood, gr- the- <laughs> The happy couple just can't wait to start this incredible journey together. But about 500 miles into this marriage, you realize not everything is exactly as you thought it would be. It feels more like Kansas than the Magic Kingdom. He's more of a slob than you thought. And she's a morning person, not the night owl you were expecting. What were in those vows again? What did I sign up for? I'm, I must not have read the fine print on that wedding license that I signed. <laughs> I read of a groom before the preacher. You know, the preacher goes through the vows and you break them down in phrases that the groom and the bride can repeat. <laughs> the preacher said, For richer, for poor. And the groom said, I'll take richer. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. The vows cover everything the high points, the low points, the ups, the downs, the desert regions. The beautiful regions. It is a journey. Paul introduces us to a passage on marriage that really is a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church, but marriage becomes the context in which he presents it. I would encourage you to go home and read Ephesians chapter 5 today and look at it in light of who we are to be with one another in our marriages as well as who we are to be in the body of Christ. But I want to focus on the verse that introduces the whole concept. Verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God provides us with wise counsel on how to successfully build this partnership in marriage. We could talk about numerous building blocks from character to commitment to communication and so on. But those begin on a foundation of mutual submission. Submission sounds so weak, doesn't it? So passive. For us guys, it sounds unmanly. Or a culture that has always been proud of, of pulling itself up by its own bootstraps. Submission is countercultural. But I have found that submission is a principle that works in nearly every aspect of life. Why do you think this morning that Mother Teresa was so admired around the world? She would never have won a beauty contest. I doubt that her IQ was extraordinarily high. She was not blessed with great material wealth, and yet there are few who garnered more respect or wielded greater influence than this diminutive lady did. She was not weak or powerless, but she was submissive to what she believed God had called her to do and submissive to the needs of broken humanity around her. Here then is the irony. It was that very submissive spirit that gave her strength and power and influence. And I would suggest to you this morning that while the principle of submission is important in every area of life, it is really important at home. When husbands and wives adopt a submissive attitude to one another, when children embrace a submissive attitude toward their parents, then the whole household becomes submissive to the power and the leadership of the Heavenly Father. That household has the best shot at being a wonderful refuge for everybody. Now, our homes will never be problem-free. They will not be without conflicting issues. And they lived happily ever after. That's an unrealistic expectation. However, your home can be a taste of heaven on earth when you begin with the submissive attitude toward one another and to God. By the way, Jesus modeled this better than anybody. Jesus was submissive to the Father's will when he came to this earth to become one of us. Jesus submitted to his earthly parents after he accidentally got left in Jerusalem. And when they found him and went back to to Nazareth, he submitted to them. He submitted to his mother's potentially misguided wishes at a wedding feast in Cana, where he turned the water into wine. He submitted to the multiple requests for healing throughout his three year ministry. He submitted to washing the dusty, gnarled feet of the disciples in the upper room on the night before the cross. And he submitted to God's will. For his sacrificial death. Philippians 2 8 says, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I would suggest to you that submission is made up of humility and obedience to God. And that's where you begin. And when you broaden it into your family relationship, it is a wonderful thing. So if Jesus lived the principle of submission, then don't you think it would be wise for us to follow his example? The attitude of mutual submission, putting others first, extending the benefit of the doubt regularly to our spouse, they all pave the way for a beautiful, successful partnership in marriage. Now, sometimes that partnership is not always easy. (laughs) One wife told her husband that this year for my 50th birthday, I want something that will go from zero to 200 in a matter of seconds. And so he bought her a brand new bathroom scales. And that's when everything went downhill, real quick. (laughs) There are two words that are essential to creating a submissive partnership and ultimately a healthy relationship in marriage, and that's respect and love. Husbands respond best to respect. Wives respond best to love. And the home in which both love and respect are present, you will find a healthy partnership. Now, very often, the family contains more than just husband and wife. We've seen that again this morning with all these wonderful kids up here on the platform. What a, what a, what a beautiful scene to see these parents and older siblings with these brand new children entrusted to the care and the keeping of these families. Comedian Ray Romano said, having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps, everything's broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. That's true, but there is nothing more rewarding than being a parent. Raising children can be challenging at best, and at times, downright frustrating. But it is the greatest adventure that you and your spouse will ever experience. I happen to have this um, book. Uh, I got a couple old books from, from family. and. This is my grandmother's baby book. It is over 100 years old. It was distributed free by the Indiana State Board of Health. And in the opening pages of this little book is called the Indiana Child Creed. I just want to read one paragraph. Every child has the inalienable right to be loved to have its individuality respected, to be trained wisely in mind, body, and soul, to be protected from disease, from evil influences and evil persons, and to have a fair chance at life. In a word, to be brought up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We've slipped a bit in the last 100 years. But I'm still convinced that raising our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord is the best thing we can do for them. So do your best to make growing up for your children a positive and pleasant experience. Shelter them a bit. There will be plenty of time for reality. Protect them a lot. They will know much pain in their lifetimes. Encourage them always. They will find discouragement lurking around the corner in the world where they live. Love them deeply, for no one can care for them more than you do. In the world, they will discover hatred, bias, dishonesty, rejection, frustration, and bitterness. Do your best to make your home a haven of happiness where they can retreat from all that is bad to once again discover joy, peace, and unconditional love. Don't have kids at home anymore? That's okay. Let me give you an example where you can be a substitute parent right here. Do you see all those kids up on the platform that 's just that 's just a sampling. There are hundreds of kids here in this church family that need your help. Stephen and his entire team who do such a marvelous job are are looking all the time for Good volunteers will step in and say, I I can help in the nursery. I can help with the toddlers. I I can be an assistant in the class. I can't teach, but I can be an assistant in a class. Can can I tell you, if you're looking for a place to plug in to become a substitute parent, get involved in our children's ministry, will you? Because you have something to offer that our kids need. And I'll tell you, you, the kids have something to offer you that you need. There is nothing in this world like being loved unconditionally by a little child. By the way, God's in the substitute, you know. Jesus became our substitute at the cross. So just maybe, maybe God is calling you to be a substitute parent or grandparent in this body to help shape the lives of our children. Now, as Paul winds up the fifth chapter and launches into the sixth chapter, still this theme of family, and he addresses children. And this is what we find in in the following verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, let me talk to the younger members of the congregation here for just a moment. These verses were often quoted. I quoted the first part. Our daughters quoted the second part. And the quote was not always offered in a spirit of love at the moment. But I do want you to know that the Hebrew word honor here comes from the verb that means to be heavy. In other words, adding precious weight to the person to be honored, to give them their due. The command to honor one's parents and all that entails an enduring command that extends through the growing years into the maturing years. You never stop honoring your parents in the Lord. The commandment to obey literally means to listen under, as in concentrated, conscious listening. The idea is to listen with the intent of understanding and then responding and doing. So let me give you this morning four reasons why you need to obey your parents in the Lord. Number one is because parents stand in the place of God to their children. Now, by that, I do not mean that they take the place of God. Only God can be your number one priority, But to the contrary, they serve as God's agents, as God's ambassador. When the president of the United States sends somebody to a foreign nation as an ambassador, that ambassador speaks on behalf of our government. Speaks as if the president were there. As ambassadors, we parents speak on God's behalf into our children's lives. That's one reason to honor and obey. Number two, because parents generally have their kids' best interests at heart. You may not think your parents have your best interest at heart, but they really do. I know you get tired of hearing things like, don't run in the road, choose your friends wisely, don't talk to strangers, eat your broccoli. But they really do have your interest, your protection, your well-being at heart. So listen, grandparents are the same way. Nobody will love you like your parents and your grandparents. Number three, because growing up years are short. For me, it was just yesterday when I carried our girls on my shoulders. Now I'm carrying their kids, and I cannot, I cannot figure out where that time in between has gone. It goes so quick. Don't put off listening, honoring and, obeying. and the last thing, perhaps the most important thing, Jesus did. Even though he was the very son of God, he was also obedient to his earthly parents. Even on the cross, out of the seven brief things that Jesus said on the cross, one of those was to provide for his mother. So here's my thoughts. God created the family, so it should be a top priority in our lives. This week... This week, take an assessment of your home. Make sure that nobody is feeling lonely. Be submissive to the Lord and then to one another. Build a lasting partnership with your spouse and with your kids. And then enjoy the ride. Because as you look back over the miles traveled, you will see that it has been the trip of a lifetime.